You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. All right, well, folks, we finally ditched the dead weight. We finally got rid of all those dumb, immature, silly, early Star Wars movies, the, the Lucas films. You know how what a hack that guy is. And now we are finally talking about a cinematic masterpiece, the Citizen Kane of movies where people do the do the parsec run what is it called the, the kessel run. do the kessel run in 12 parsecs yeah solo a star wars movie a star, a star wars story oh actually. my bad a star wars story yeah <sighs> jake i feel like that was some negative energy right there a little sarcasm. no man I, no sarcasm I'm a, in the form of I'm anger here. no i'm here you're here yeah i'm here no for, i'm saying I'm i was for solo i brought the positive no i brought Thing, I brought the negative energy. Oh, by. okay. I'm here to bring the positive energy. So you like this solo movie? No. <laughs> my name is Nathan. Humble and obedient host. That's Pastor Jake Menzel. We talk about movies on what I think is probably the best Christian movie review podcast that exists. We said we'd talk about all the Star Wars movies, and so we're going to talk about Solo. Yeah. A Star Wars story. Yeah. This is kind of a difficult movie to talk about. We should say we actually did an old version of Sanity at the movies. You can find it in the Sound of Sanity iTunes podcast feed or whatever. Yeah. And When it came out in theaters. When it came out in theaters. And I believe our response then was... It's fine, whatever. It's, it's all right. entertaining. I remember walking out of the theater and being like, that movie entertained me pretty well, I guess. Wasn't a travesty. Wasn't a tragedy on par with The Last Jedi or anything like that. It's kind of fun. Yeah. That's what I remember. You remember anything? It was an in, it, an attempt to it was an attempt to give us an Indiana Jones movie. Yes. Which was I thought a smart decision if you're going to do a young Harrison Ford, you know, if you can make it as Harrison Fordy as you can without it trying to be Han Solo-y. Yep. Kind of a clever idea. Well, uh, pretty poorly executed on that front, but... Had a fun train scene. Had a fun train scene. And uh, I guess they thought what they really needed to do and what fans really wanted were answers to 5,000 questions. Including questions that I'd never asked, like, where did he get his dice? And... Yeah, well, that was the big one. Like I, I can't say I ever wondered. Right, I, I can't say I, I really even noticed that his dice existed. Does he rub them for good luck? Like in the originals, there's like in one of the originals, it's there, and in another, it's not. And we don't know the story, but people, you know, because they pick apart Star Wars movies, they notice all these details. So it's just like every detail about Han and Han and Chewie, and why does Lando call him Han instead of Han? You know, where did he and how did he meet Chewbacca and where did he come from and how did he get his name? And I guess one thing I'd say is this is one of the problem with filling in some of these details is like just because you're answering that question doesn't necessarily mean that the answer is interesting. Like you still have to come up with an interesting answer to the well, question. Questions are always more interesting than the answers in films and in TV shows. Right. Like what's great about Lost is all the questions. And what sucks about Lost is all the answers. All the answers are can't live up to the hype created by the questions. Well, as a fan of uh, weird fiction and supernatural stuff, and, you know, I watched a number of horror movies in my time, 
the monsters you don't see are always better. I, th- I think supernatural stuff is maybe the the easiest way to illustrate this point. The first half of a monster movie is always so much scarier than the second half because you don't see the monster and it's just picking people off from the shadows and you're not sure what it looks like. And so your imagination, every person who's sitting in that theater, his or her own imagination fills in their scariest version of what this monster would be like. And then the monster shows up. No matter how great the monster is, no matter how good the CGI is or the animatronics, no matter what they've done, you really lose something. Yeah. Like that's one of the great things. That's that's one of the things that the Jurassic Park sequels have always lacked. One of the wonderful things about the first Jurassic Park is that it takes a long time to get to the T-Rex. And then people talk about the T-Rex and they say, we have a T-Rex and you're waiting for the T-Rex. And for, you know, when you see that movie as a kid for the first time, you don't know, you've not seen the T-Rex. And then the T-Rex announces itself with rumbling. And then there's like, there's like a long buildup. And so by the time the T-Rex shows up, your imagination's actually done a ton of work to make it awe-inspiring and big. And yeah, you can never really recapture that in any other movies. <sighs> so I don't know. It's like Han Solo's story is, I wonder where he came from. It's actually, a, a, or I wonder how he got to be a guy that would just fry poor Greedo. It's actually a more interesting question than... Well, that's how. He had a mentor who told him to shoot first, and... He did. He did. Yep. A parsec isn't a unit of time. Right. It's a unit of measurement. How do we resolve this? Well, there's this asteroid field. Right. And he found a way to get through it in 12 parsecs. Yeah. Like, seeing him do that is not nearly as interesting as spending time talking with your friends on the playground and wondering, what is a parsec, and how does he do that, and... What was it? Like all the versions you could come up with in your head. And I'll emphasize again, just like in the theater, everybody can imagine their own monster. What's fun about a question is that we can all give our own answer. And it could be the answer that's tailored to us because it's the answer that our brain comes up with. Like this is what I think would be a cool thing. But the thing that Ron Howard thinks would be a cool thing or whoever is responsible for that might not be the same thing that Jake Menzel thinks would be a cool thing. Who was on the project before Ron Howard? Well, uh, Lord and Miller. Oh, yeah. I just wish we could have seen Lord and Miller's solo. Lord and Miller's solo would have probably been great. If our audience doesn't know, Lord and Miller are responsible for Into the Spider-Verse, the wonderful animated Spider-Man movie, among other things. Both Lego movies. Both Lego movies. And a number of other projects, all of which are wonderfully, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's snarky and metatextual, if I may use that word, in a way that's just kind of tired and annoying and heartless you know like the shrek movies i hate the shrek movies because they they just deconstruct fairy tales and it's clear they they hate fairy tales but lord and miller are able to deconstruct things in a way that's really that's affectionate affectionate. that's the word i would use and fun i mean the lego movie i think i would i submit to you jake it is the best deconstruction of the hero's journey that exists maybe i think you might be right about that and i can't it, think and of it a better one because it's an affectionate deconstruction there's you don't have that sense of anger bitterness in most deconstructions yeah you could watch the lego movie and then you could turn around and watch the matrix and not feel like oh well the lego movie ruined, ruined that the matrix for me, me. You, know, you could you watch shrek and then you kind of have to recalibrate your brain before you go watch snow white because you remember her singing and all the eggs exploding and like all these mean it, yeah cruel things they've done to yep. the Disney legacy. It's like you can never really come back to those things unironically. Yeah, but Lord and Miller don't do that in their deconstructions. And then they have their own positive constructions in Spider-Verse is that. And they have, you know, some, you know, the deconstruction of Spider-Man and all the Spider-Man stories and all the Spider-Man movies that have come before. Mm-hmm. 
a part of this actual hero's journey that has a lot of heart to it. Yeah. I like to think, I mean, who knows, but I like to think that they would have done the same thing to Solo. What they probably would have done, actually, because it's, it's what they've done in a number of their movies, is they would have asked the question, why? And I, I, if I was going to speculate, I would say the reason that Kathleen Kennedy and the Brain Trust got uncomfortable, because Lord and Miller always ask the question of, why are we doing this? It's kind of inherent in their movies. Yeah. And when they've got a project like that, that there is no reason to, to do it besides <laughs> crass money-making reasons. So for example, not that I, I recommend these movies, but they did the second 21 Jump, Jump Street movie, 22 Jump Street. And that movie is all about the fact that it's a sequel and it's doing the same things. And they're being affectionate and metatextual. No, I'm just going to say meta. It's, yeah. I thought that I could sound less like a jerk by saying metatextual instead of meta. You but sound like more of a I jerk. I sound like yeah. more of a jerk. Yeah, I regret it. Stop, I, should yep. just, I should just say meta. Yep. And I'm sorry that there's not a word that doesn't start with M-E-T-A for that. There probably is, but I'm sorry that I'm not coming up with it. So that movie is an affectionate spoof of the fact that it's a sequel. And I'm guessing that their solo movie on some level was an affectionate spoof of the fact that they were making... Some kind of prequel. A, sequ- a solo movie that was pointless and... Yeah. Silly. And it probably had heart and, you know. I bet it would have had a lot of heart and humor. and But instead, they brought in the single blandest director of all time mm-hmm. to just give us a straightforward, here are answers to all of the questions that you always asked about Solo and nine other questions that you didn't. A straightforward Solo movie with a character and material that just doesn't respond well to a straightforward. You have to have an angle. I mean- Think about Han Solo. He's a guy who always has an angle. That's his whole character. You're going to make a Han Solo movie. The movie has to have an angle. It has to have an attitude about who Han Solo is and what it thinks of him. Is it actually casting him as a hero or is it saying this is a bad dude who needs to be redeemed by Luke Skywalker? You kind of have to know what you think. Is he a goofball? Yeah. Has he always been, you know, yeah. Is he a goofball? Is he an idealist? You know, we're going to see him get crushed up by the system here and turn bad before he turns, you know. What do we... And you can answer those questions any number of ways, but the what Ron Howard's version tries to do is say, eh, well, we don't, eh, you know, he was kind of... Always the guy that you loved, kind of. Yeah. Because you love him, right? Give us money! <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, we did, but apparently not Look, the Millennium did. Falcon, look, Chewbacca, look, Dice, look. <sighs> His blaster. Look, he shot first. Look. Yeah. He did shoot first. And Woody Harrelson didn't even say McClunky. <laughs> hey, speaking of McClunky, we should yeah. give our five-second review of the first, uh, as of this recording, the first uh, couple episodes of The Mandalorian mm, have come out. Should we be spoiler-free? So, yeah, we'll do spoiler-free. So we're going to come back, I think, maybe behind the paywall, folks. I think you might have to pony up some cold, hard, what do they call, uh, money. And st- you might have to pony up some credits for this. Yeah, so I think we're I think, not going to take imperial credits though. So no, no, no. We we will take calamari credits or whatever. The, I think they had another name for the calamari. Yeah, we'll, we'll t- flan, 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 flan. Like the, like flan. the Mexican dessert. Kind of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, calamari, calamari, the also calamari. The treat. Well, yeah, they they gave us Admiral Akbar. So calamari flan though would be like a Mexican dessert with squid. Probably, yeah. But in the Star Wars universe, it's just, you know. Mexican dessert with squid is, in fact, used as currency in Star (laughs) Wars. (laughs) I've never read the books, Jake, but that sounds a little far-fetched to me. Got me. (laughs) I got him, folks. 
What are we talking about? Yeah, so you might have to pony up some calamari flan for our in-depth take on The Mandalorian. We haven't actually figured out when when and where we're going to do that, but I think we'd like to do it behind the paywall probably, right? Yeah, I think so. So, But anyway, we'll talk more about The Mandalorian in some forum format or another that will either be free or available for a low, low price. But what is your... And, and, and we're going to get back to Solo. We're going to talk about Solo. I don't think we're going to talk through the movie. Not, I actually specifically requested that Jake not re- rewatch Solo. Yep. And Jake, you uh, obeyed that. I did obey. And, and did not rewatch. I have also not rewatched. I was tempted to watch some YouTube clips today. I didn't do that. I didn't watch any clips. I didn't read about it. Because my conceit was, what will we actually remember about this movie? We saw it when it came out. Yeah. How Just how memorable is this thing? Sex I, bot. Yeah, I remember her. She's the most obnoxious bot in all of Star Wars history. The most obnoxious bot in all of Star Wars history. Droid, I think we should call her. Droid, yes. And that's sex droid. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the movie and see how much we can remember, play that game. I think we'll actually remember enough that it won't definitively make the point of how boringly unmemorable the movie is. Because mm-hmm. I think we'll just be able to remember it pretty well, actually. But we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see. I think so, too. Uh, and then we're going to talk about what we think the movie should have been and just have a great discussion about Solo. But first, what's your hot take on The Mandalorian? First two episodes are out as of this recording. You've watched them both, so as have I. The Mandalorian is going out of its way to be fairly accessible while also just flashing nerd cred all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so uh, both episodes right now are like, hey, guys, we are you. We are the Star Wars nerds. We know what's cool about Star Wars, and we are going to just give it to you mm-hmm. like crazy. We've got the cool puppets, and we've got the cool creatures, and we've got the cool armor, and we've got the cool lore, and we've got the cool fights, and we've got the cool characters, and everything is just cool. And jokes for the faithful, like the guy, the, the his first bounty making a reference to Life Day, which is the very silly version of Christmas that they use in the Star Wars Christmas special. References to Mythosars, mm-hmm. the Mythosar uh, insignia above the little Mandalorian h- hovel that Boba Fett, you know, carries and wears on his uh, Well, let me just stuff. point out, like, I come from a generation where nerds knew about things like Life Day, like I'm legendary universe kind of stuff. And they've managed to appease me with some in jokes. Jake comes from the more I have modern no idea. Star Wars. I did, life day went over my head, right? But yeah, I've I've but got meanwhile I've got Jake's all the like modern... Mythosar. Like, I don't know what Mythosar is. <laughs> I know what the Mythosar. <laughs> I know what all this stuff is. I know what the creatures. I've seen these creatures before, right? The creatures that we tame. So they managed know, to like compliment both of, of us and make us feel like we're in the know. Yeah, and we are cool fans that know things that they have. Yeah, all these. Fun reference, and you know we're gonna roast one of the lizard monkeys from Jabba's palace. That was a fun joke. My 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 brother texted me specifically to say that that moment he thought was awesome, and he actually said this is the first Star Wars thing with a bunch where the end jokes seem good. Like he he said he'd watched all everything from Force Awakens on. He really hadn't liked any of it because the. And, and his specific complaint was it's just all in jokes and stuff like this. But then he said... But they're dumb. But they're dumb, yeah, and a waste yeah. of everyone's time. But then he said these in jokes... They're fun. Are fun, yeah. Yeah, and it's a bunch of means. fun in jokes like yeah. that. And Well, Dick, you haven't gone out of your way to say there's actually a story or something to latch on to. That would be the problem, stuff. wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's the weakness of it so far. And that has been, I think, a weakness of 
I would say it's a weakness of Filoni's storytelling mm-hmm. is that he takes a long time. He's taken a long time to get into something that is engaging. So it takes a little bit of trust. So I remember with Clone Wars, the series, it was pretty scattered for the first couple of seasons. And I was sort of in and out and it took a while. And then finally I was hooked and I was engaged. And then the storytelling got really, really great and really fantastic. And then everybody, as I was getting to the end of Clone Wars, everybody had been saying, you know, Rebels is way better than anything, way better than Clone Wars. And I was like, I doubt it. And probably took me into the second season or towards the end of the first season of Rebels before I really decided I loved it. And by the time it was done, I just, I love it. It was just really great, fantastic storytelling. Resistance is in its second season. Um, I watched that with my kids and I'm still not hooked. I just don't really care about the story they're telling just yet. And it's just too little too late. And they're ending it because Filoni, I think, got pulled into The Mandalorian and don't know that he's going to be doing anything else apart from finishing up Clone Wars. But so this, you know, it's Favreau gets all the writing credits in Mm. the first season, except for one episode was written by Filoni and another one was written maybe by somebody else. Mm. Just the same, the sort of slow build. We're establishing all of our nerd cred. We're putting that on the table first. Right. And we're going to just give you some cool action set pieces. And because that's what we think you're here for. And then we're going to surprise you by telling you a story that has a lot of heart. Like that's kind of the way that these, every show of Filoni's has gone. It feels like he's got to pony up his nerd cred Mm -hmm. and really prove that he gets, you know, what's exciting about all this stuff before he gets into telling you the story he wants to tell you. So that's me. I had hoped that we would be past that point by now and that we would just be, but, oh, I can't be spoilery. There was a hook hook at the end of the first episode and it was good. And that hook... I'm sure 99% of our listeners are just all in, right? Know what it is. And it's a it's a brilliant hook. I will say it's it's just a fun hook and I love how charmingly gauchely manipulative it is. <laughs> My wife was like checked out on her phone through the whole episode and then the hook happens and she says, "Aw, this show is great." <laughs> and she's in. <laughs> she's in <laughs> just because of the hook that they chose. Yeah, and then they just strategically use that hook every chance they get. Every time there's a need, action set piece, hook. Yep. Action set piece, hook. Action set piece, hook. Hook, hook. Yep. Action set piece, more hook. It's great. Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, smart in a cynical sort of, sort of way. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it is what is exciting. I, I'm excited to talk about that hook behind the paywall because there's a lot to know about that hook that makes it even more exciting to me. And even, well, one thing I will say is, this is kind of spoilery, but I'm going to I'm gonna go ahead and I'm going to throw it out there. So when the Mandalorian comes and uh, sits down with Werner Herzog and this doctor guy, whatever, comes in and they have the Mexican standoff, he is wearing a Camino insignia on his sleeve. And that means something. That And is super interesting. Yeah. But we can talk about that behind the paywall. We certainly can. Yeah, uh, I have really enjoyed this show. I think you're right. It's taking its time. But what I appreciate is that, A, the episodes are self-contained enough so far. I mean, we've only got two of them. But they have their own little stories and, you know, uh, challenges for yeah. The Mandalorian. And I like that. It feels different to me than something like, say, the stupid Daredevil show on Netflix 
where it felt like this is a common complaint about a lot of Netflix bingeable shows is that it feels like they've got this big story and they're stretching it out. Like, right. actually, we just need to get to the Daredevil's confrontation with what's his face, the Kingpin guy. Yeah. And that we have about maybe five, six episodes of story, but we're going to stretch that out and have Daredevil go. And so you could you could say the same thing about the Mandalorian that we haven't gotten to the actual story yet. But what I like about it is that the episodes in an old fashioned TV sense feel self-contained like this is the episode where he has to fight the jawas and get the egg this is the episode where he has to do this and so the episode in and of itself is an entertaining little slice of yeah and and it's very much like from a stylistic standpoint it's sort of in the in a vein of like old spaghetti western kind of thing it's very wide uh scenes Mm -hmm. and landscapes a lot of silence and part of the fun and difficulty of it is our the, the titular hero, we've never seen his face after two episodes. That's pretty fun. And also its own kind of hindrance, but also pretty cool. Well, it's the kind of thing I assume when we finally do, it'll be pretty meaningful and it'll, you know, maybe he'll, you know, forsake yeah. the Mandalorian. Who knows? Who knows Got what will happen? But presumably when we see his face, there's a good reason and it's exciting and yeah. fun and cool. So it's still a gratification, but I trust... Favreau, I trust Filoni, and I just really appreciate the music, the score, the, the music, the, the cinematography. The cinematography is great. The money, the money well spent. Yeah, the good the combination CGI of practical good, and CGI the... feels like a Star Wars movie, and the action is clear and clean and crisp. None of that post-action Jason Bourne nonsense. We're just back to good old-fashioned. We can see yep. what's happening and. There's and, like setups and payoffs and yeah, and both, geography. Yeah, and both Favreau and Filoni are good at that and have proven themselves to be good at that sort yeah. of thing. Favreau's proven it in his films, and uh, I'd say that some of the best Star Wars action sequences ever are in these dumb little cartoons. Right. And so... And this feels similar to a lot of the Clone Wars stuff that I've seen, where it's just classic action, like... We have a goal. We know where we are. We know what the environment is. We see, I mean, just enough. We see enough to know what's going on. Right. It's, and and it's not this, you know, this nonsense that I always complain about where it's like, it's the action scene. Now we're going to cut it together really fast and make it different. No, this drama, we can stretch out an action scene for, you know, a quarter to a third of an episode. Mm -hmm. And it's going to contain its own dramatic tension throughout so that it, stays interesting and cool and fun and not just like you know yeah as opposed to the worst of say a marvel action scene where it's just like here's action action action, oh it's action 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 all right the action's done this is like there's build and there's release and there's expectation and then playing on the expectation and the biggest action set piece of the first episode tells you more about our main hero Mm -hmm. than about anything else just giving him uh the ig droid mm-hmm. as a foil yep yeah and that's a really and cool putting him in a dramatic tense situation really cool shootout um and then i love the when he has to attack a certain vehicle in the second yeah. episode it's yeah, just it's like, pretty fun huh yeah it's really fun and it really reminded me of like the tank uh, fight in indiana jones and stuff like right. that just that kind of i mean they even stole they it. even re- well they referenced it yeah they i think affectionately cribbed a, a gag from that where he's um on the side of the thing and going towards the rock the rock um yep. 
but it's just great. Anyway, fun show. Recommend it. Yeah. Do you like Disney Plus in general? Love it. It's little, great. Little buggy, I will say, for, 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 for something really? that should have been perfect. What bugs have you found? Slow loading times really? sometimes and huh. glitching. It glitch, it's glitched out a couple times, like okay. especially with The Mandalorian, actually. Maybe I just was too eager to watch the first episode the morning that it came out, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it was glitching out a little bit. <laughs> okay. I haven't had any glitch trouble with it yet. My only criticism... Let me guess, navigation. It's navigation. It's There should be some recently played. There should be, a, if I click on the Mandalorian, I should be able to go to the episode that I'm on. Mm-hmm. And then just knowing where anything is or what's in the app that isn't specifically Marvel, Disney, Pixar, Nat Geo. Well, even like if you go to the Disney section, it's like it would be nice to just have all the animated features chron- in chronological chronicle- order from Snow White uh, absolutely. to Tangled or whatever the shows you what I know. But <laughs> yeah, uh, you can't just Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3. No, and it feels like part of that is to try to cover over the nakedness of what's not there. Although the, even the stuff that they didn't launch with, a lot of it is now interestingly there. Solo and Last Jedi are there now. Are they? Yeah, they were there as of yesterday. I didn't know that. I don't know if they their Netflix deal just like lapsed a couple days after. It did. I knew that they were coming. What day is today? Today is Monday, the eighteenth. I think. Okay. Yeah, it was probably in the last day or two. I know that there were expire expirations over the month of November, and I think some other things like Incredibles too probably ha- showed up or will show up soon. Yeah, that it showed up. I think they have all three Iron Mans or I- I- Iron Men. What's the plural of Iron Man? Iron's uh, Man. I- Iron's Man, yeah. Like, <laughs> they, Chalupa like, Supreme. Chalupa Supreme. They, they, have, <laughs> they have all three Irons, <laughs> Iron's Man now, whereas they only had one in three. So, yay, we can watch Iron Man 2 now. All right. <laughs> Disney so Plus is coming yay. through. But... Yeah, it's fun. I really enjoy the vintage titles that they have, like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It's fun that they that Disney's embracing that part of their catalog. Although they're throwing a bunch of uh, warnings up in front of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, when are we going to get to the point where they just have to put a trigger warning on the front? Warning d- contains depictions of real life. I mean, that's basically <laughs> yeah, what know, it feels right? like now. It's like d- tobacco contains warnings. tobacco d- we've, and then contains outdated cultural... References, references or, or something, something like, like that, that or out, outdated cultural norms or which i don't know i mean there is a crow named jim crow in dumbo <laughs> I, I could see putting a little disclaimer on that i don't know um <laughs> <laughs> what my, my thing is as long as they can put as many slap as many things on front of it as they want to as long as they're giving me the uncensored not edited version. If you up. feel like you have to make Roger and 101 Dalmatians not smoke his pipe, that's bad. But if you can let him smoke his pipe, which they have, and just you have to throw some PC crap on the front of it, I'm fine with that, actually. Um, yep. I mean, in a perfect world, we'd all just chillax. But in the imperfect world that we live in, I'm just happy that they're not trying to bury some of those things. The only thing that they've definitively buried is Song of the South, and we're not here to do a... Episode about that. <laughs> Episode about We're that. actually here to talk about Solo, a That's Star Wars right. story. Solo, a Star Wars movie. <sighs> Let's reconstruct this bad boy. Let's just see what we see how much of the plot we can go through. So it starts right, with... We open on a heist scene, which is very Indiana Jones or mid-heist. I hate the fact that this movie opens mid-heist, actually. Because 
even though Star Wars is known for its fast-paced kind of stuff, S- Star Wars movies always feel Star Wars-y and that the music trails off and it goes, and the camera pans slowly down and then one ship comes flying by or yeah. the, even, even in, episode, in Revenge of the Sith, which is about as wham, bam, we're into the action as you get, it's still going to slowly drift down and we're going to hear some lasers going and then suddenly somebody zooms by and maybe i don't remember maybe solo tries to do something like that but what i remember is it's just it doesn't feel it didn't feel very star warsy to me to just jam the accelerator that quickly i didn't mind that at all i thought it was my first clue that we were trying to watch an indiana jones movie and because it's the way every indiana jones movie starts it had not i had not thought about solo beforehand right and so I had not like put myself in the director's shoes, said, what would I do? Mm-hmm. How would I make this work? How would I make this feel like, Har- how would I make Alden Ehrenreich feel like Harrison Ford while not being Harrison Ford, all that sort of thing. So I felt from the outset, those opening sequences, I remember my mind going immediately to, oh, we're in an Indiana Jones movie. That's an intentional decision to cover Alden Ehrenreich's butt and help him by creating atmospherics that feel Harrison Fordy. So my mind was just in that place. And I was like, yeah, it's a smart idea. I like that idea. That was a smart decision. See, I think it's a, I think it's a cowardly idea. I think it's smart insofar as it does get us over that hump really quickly. And that's, so maybe it's all you can do. I think it is all you can do. If you're going to have a movie that the whole problem of this movie is you have a character who is identified with one of the most iconic actors of the 20th century. And you've got to, it's sort of like, what else was J.J. Abrams going to do in The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. except plop a map down on top of A New Hope? Right. And yeah, we can be critical of J.J. for for doing that and not being more creative and taking risks, but he had to try to bring together this vast array of people across the board who were suspicious, who had been angry, who were whatever, 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 and try to unite them. And so I think to try to establish a feel of a Harrison Ford movie in the opening sequence of Solo is about all you can do. Yeah, but the way that a real Indiana Jones movie starts, Raiders of the Lost Ark, a mysterious man is on an expedition through the jungle, and we're going to get like five minutes That's of that That's our introduction action. to Indiana Jones. Temple of Doom, he, a mysterious man in a white Humphrey Bogart dinner jacket enters a saloon. Indiana Jones has like a, a cool, stylish opening. Raiders of the Lost Ark, what are these kids doing in the, or not not Raiders, uh, Crusade, what are these kids doing in the Nevada, is it, what is it, where is that? Uh, it's probably, I think it's Arizona. It's Arizona, yeah, of course it's Arizona. So there's actually always like some dramatic buildup, or, or even the stupid uh, fourth Indiana Jones movie, whatever that's called. Hey, these Soviets are in a truck, and suddenly the truck's popping, and then we're seeing the shadow and the hat, and hey, it's Indiana Jones, yay! That's actually how... Indiana Jones is introduced. He's introduced, you know, it's like Rick Rick in Casablanca. He walks out from the shadows. He takes a drag on his cigarette and it's like, here's Rick. And the reason they didn't do that, as you've very successfully argued, is all that we'd be thinking is, hey, it's, there's not Harrison Ford. Right. So they've got to, I mean, that's- They effectively then don't give him an introduction. It's just like, we're already in the middle of an adventure. I I understand and sympathize with your argument, I guess, but I just think... I just think that they were creatively, creatively, they were 
between a rock and a hard place. I think I think what you do in that case, everybody loves Pierce Bronson. You f- you fired him. You got Daniel Craig. Everybody, the internet over is criticizing him because he's got blonde hair and the internet's stupid. I think you just own it and you come up with this really stylish black and white sequence where Daniel Craig is suddenly in the guy's office and he's just acting like James Bond. You give him some dialogue. You know, you give him an entrance. You know, you just say, "Hey, it's Daniel Craig now, guys." And I think they it with Bond you can do that because Bond has been 6,000 guys. But Kathleen Kennedy and the Brain Trust were never going to let that's why Lord Miller got fired. There was not going to be a creative solution here. I still think if I'm doing the movie, my instinct is to come up, give Han Solo an entrance. A mysterious guy walks into a bar. We pan up. He's wearing the jacket, the the black vest thing. And oh, and he's got the face of Alden Ehrenreich. Right, and then he trips over some dishes or something, and we're like, "Oh, this guy's a bumbling guy that hasn't become Han Solo." You know, in other words. Lean into it. Lean into it. Find a way to make the fact that it's Alden, however you say his last name, Aaron Reich, yeah, into an asset. And instead, they just kind of are like, eh, it's Han Solo. You like chases and stuff, right? And I, get it, I, I, I'm not, I don't really disagree with you. It works. But they do the bumbling thing, though. The chase doesn't quite work out. He ends up getting caught. He's got to try to talk his way out with a... Big slug lord lady. Split. Yeah, with the big, this movie's version of Jabba. Right. And he does a bad job of it. And then he like, you know, they do a thing and then they find a way and mm-hmm. then they, and then he screws it up and he loses the girl. And so they, you know, and then I don't know. Yeah, I guess they did it. I just, too bad they didn't. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's hard to even talk about this movie because the only real criticism is eh, they did it, but too bad they didn't do it better. Right. Like, I, I really think that that's a lot of the problem with the movie is that they just didn't do it better. They knew they weren't doing it better, so they focused on throwing in as many payoffs as possible, which I think just undermined. Well, movie. you still have to make me care about this new guy. I mean, they trade so much on he's becoming the Han Solo that you love, but I still have to love this guy this in guy front of me. Yeah. In front of me. And so I liked Aaron Reich. I liked his performance. I, I, I really like him a lot as a performer. He was in a Coen Brothers movie called Hail Caesar, and he was just hilarious in it and great. And I think he's really talented. I don't. I don't know how much I he's, like him. It's kind of a thankless. His contract role. still has two movies. Uh, and I, by the it. way, would love to see those movies. I think that the way this movie ends is fun, and I'd like yeah, to see. I think the, so too. I'd like to see the solo trilogy. But I guess we were supposed to be reconstructing this bad boy. So he has the adventure with the slug lady and he's already with the mother of dragons lady, his Amelia Clark, his girlfriend. And she's just kind of sweet and boring at that point, I think. Right. Yep. And he says, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to come get you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to find you. Although he's already disobeying orders. Why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just grab her and make a run for it? Do we? No, they did make a run for it. That's right. And then they end up at the space space airport airport, and they're going to try to, Use the coaxium he stole from Slug Lady, right, to get them both through, and she gets nabbed and he gets through, and so they're on the other side of you know customs or whatever. And the way that he gets ends up getting through is by joining. He quickly joins the Imperial Army, and then we have maybe a minute of he was trained and spent years and became an awesome guy that was good at things and but also war as hell and he and got thrown in the brig with Chewie. 
Yeah, well, he was trying to find his way out. Right. He recognized that he was just looking for his first chance to jump. He, being a street-savvy guy, recognized that the dude was no general or admiral or whatever, and that they were just doing their own little heist thing, stealing spoils of war or whatever, and were faking it. And mm-hmm. He wanted in and threatened to expose them, and joke was on him. And yeah, then he got thrown into the pit with Chewie and... Escaped, somehow joins up with Woody Harrelson's guy. Is that he, is Woody he, Harrelson. Yeah, that's right. Woody Harrelson's like doing his own scheme. Yeah, he's doing his scheme. He's the fake general guy that right. gets him thrown into the pit. And then we basically... Then he makes friends with Chewie because he can speak Wookiee. Makes friends with Woody Harrelson, falls in with his team of rough Guardians of the Galaxy type people. Mm-hmm. They have, There's a really fun train heist, highlight of the movie. Basically, all of Woody Harrelson's team, including his wife or best girl, get blown up or killed. Yep. And what happens after that? Well, they all get blown up or killed because there was a rival gang that was... All right. The old mysterious person with a mask who takes it off and it's a girl gambit. Yeah, but she doesn't take it off until the end. No, she doesn't take it off. So the next thing that's going to happen is Han Solo's got to get to uh, Paul Bettany's gangster paradise but i'm not sure how we get from the train to that well so what happens is han makes the decision to save somebody over the coaxium while woody harrelson's wife gives her life so that they can get the coaxium so then they end up losing the coaxium and the crew and woody harrelson's not the happiest of people about that nope so then they have to go to paul bettany's character oh because they owed him the coaxium yeah it was they, about it was, paying the him job off. was for him okay yeah it was the job now Amelia has to go Clark. back and he has to explain to Crim- Paul Bettany and who runs Crimson Dawn, or does he? Or does he? Uh, yeah, that's the yeah. And Amelia Clark now works for for Paul, him. Paul Bettany. She and Solo have a moment. Yep. They team up with Lando to go steal more coaxium. Yep. I guess. Yep. So them and they and Lando and Sexbot Lady. Go steal more coaxium. Does that get us to the droid planet with the insurrection thing or whatever? The is that what's next? Yeah, they've got to go get a ship first. So they get they hire Lando and the um, they have the card game and then find out that Lando cheats cards. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they go to do they go to Kashyyyk or do they go to maybe it's the castle? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But they go to the planet where they are mining the coaxium. Yeah, the sex droid leads the droid insurrection, and Han and Chewie free a bunch of Wookiees. That's right. And then the sex droid gets- In a very similar style. We have some similar- We have some Temple of Doom echoes. Yes, that's right. Throughout that whole cave mining operation. They get away. The droid is killed, but becomes- Part part of of the the Millennium Falcon's consciousness or whatever. They do some excitement with the giant space- squid or something like that the, the 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 castle run in 12 parsecs is like yeah they've got to get there quick because co- the coaxium hasn't been stabilized it's going right. to he- overheat and blow them all to bits and there is i'm not wrong there's, in a thing, there's, a, there's a giant lovecraft monster that they have to squid thing that they have to dodge right probably yeah and also some imperial some star destroyers yeah i seem to remember yep but they get it's back to exciting. Paul Bettany's planet. No, they get to the refinery planet. I don't remember the refinery planet at all. What happens there? 
maybe it is the same place as where Paul Bettany is, but it's they have to go and get the coaxium refined. Paul Bettany needs to die, though. Is that happening soon? Yeah, they have to go and they have to get the coaxium refined. So they have to take it to these people to get it refined and they have to go deliver it to Paul Bettany. That's where we get the... The big twist. The twists, yeah. Which is what again? That Woody Harrelson's a bad guy? Woody Harrelson betrays Khan at some point. Yeah. Does he leave? Does he steal the coaxium for himself? Yep. And then does that leave Han with they nothing were going to, to... They're going to betray Paul Bettany's character. and But Han suspects that Woody Harrelson's actually going to betray him. Mm-hmm. So he does a double switch. So who ends up with the coaxium, if anyone? The rebel, the the lady with the mask. Yeah, the the rebel alliance does. Because the lady with the mask is part of the growing rebel alliance. Okay. And, and what does Woody Harrelson actually want? He just wants the coaxium for himself. He wants the money. He wants to get off the hook with Crimson Dawn. He wants the money. But they're all doing this job for Crimson Dawn, right? So, But Han doesn't want to do it for Crimson Dawn. Han wants to betray Crimson Dawn and steal the girl and be the good guy. So Han goes to confront Paul Bettany, still thinking that Woody Harrelson's on his side. He's already learned the lesson from Woody Harrelson to trust nobody, so he's done a double switch. But we as so an audience anticipates. are expected to think, like like in other yes. words, Han and Woody Harrelson go yes. into Paul Bettany's uh, apartment or, or office or whatever and say, we're here to trick you or something like that. But Han's done, done a double. And so, uh, yeah, Paul Bettany's like, I perceive that you're tricking me. And Woody Harrelson's like, yep, he's tricking you, but I've got you covered. Han's like, oh, no, you've double crossed me i didn't anticipate this at all except that i totally did right you know then amelia car clark kills paul bettany yep and then han runs back to go confront woody harrelson then he shoots first he shoots first and amelia clark talks to darth maul and is like i'm in charge of this now right right i can be in charge of it right and darth maul's like sure yeah and by the way, I'm alive and I exist. And if you didn't know that. Yeah. And he's got a lightsaber, which is fun because nobody had a lightsaber in this movie up until that point. Yep. It's like they had, they have Darth Maul just uselessly turn on his lightsaber. As so I that there could, be a lightsaber so there could be a lightsaber in every single Star Wars in movie. In every Star Wars movie, which I'm fine with, I guess, now that you mentioned it. And so Han Solo is has learned the lesson from his mentor Woody Harrelson which is that you should shoot first and he uses it on Woody Harrelson to, and shoots him first and Woody Harrelson basically says you shot first or something like that and then dies. He's just like you learned the lesson good job boy. Yep. Taught you everything uh, you needed to know something like that. Yep and now our movie ends with Han wanting to go confront his girl I don't think so I mean, there's some kind of a setup for the sequel with the huts and the... Doesn't he go just to... He does. He goes and plays cards with Lando. That's like the yeah. last scene. But I think him and Chewie kind of have in the back of their minds, at least, that they need to go on a... There's a clear, like... Maybe there was another job or another setup or I don't know what. There you go. I guess we remembered that movie pretty well. Yeah. Cool. What a memorable movie. Well, it's a Ron Howard movie. So it's just everything's in your face. Yeah. Do you like Solo? I thought it was fine, fun, enjoyable, and didn't deserve all the hate that it got as a movie, but it doesn't live up to what anybody wants in a Star Wars movie. Yeah, I think that's what I think is, as a Star Wars movie, it fails. And for me, at least, 
Star Wars can't be divorced from the mythology, I think. And this movie is the only Star Wars movie. Like Rogue One is all about the forces become a legend and we don't really believe in it, but also we do. And like, but the force is very conspicuous by its, by its absence. This, yeah. And you've got, you know, Donnie Yen and right. you've got the wills and these references to the, the force lore. And, and, They're guardians of the wills. And the way the movie all ties together, it's like, these were people that died in pursuit of this grand glorious thing that and statues of fall uh, of Jedi or whatever. And right kyber crystals which power jedi lightsabers and we feel fate or the force in the or whatever superintending that whole movie yeah solo just really does like if all the other star wars movies are a sequel to the scene where luke stands before the twin sunset and tries to decide his destiny if every star wars movie is keying off of that this movie is just a movie about han versus greedo like that's what it's basically keying off of he's a guy that sh- shot a guy and was cold-blooded about it and laser swords and hooky religions are no match for a a good blaster a yeah. good blaster at your side but i don't want to see establishing with, with han's no... worldview yeah but it's establishing saw chaos and everybody and everything suck i don't there are no bigger forces at play here i don't want to see a star wars movie where like we can have han very consciously make that decision but i as a film goer do not get a very star warsy feeling in the cockles of my heart when there's not some the force feeling is not of, guiding him on his journey. Yeah. Whether he realizes it or not. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you connect. Well, here's an example. The Mandalorian is set completely in that corner yeah. of the universe with bounty hunters and scum and villainy and all that stuff. But the Mandalorian himself follows some kind of austere kind of Spartan Code. He's got a code, and just like any good Western, all hero through the has series, you know, and, and especially given the nature of the MacGuffin, that hook that we referenced earlier, they are connecting it to the larger mythology, and even in and of itself, apart from the larger mythology, they're giving it its own feeling of of mythological proportions, you know, even yeah. apart from the Force and everything. This 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 Mandalorian obviously comes weighted with his own mythology, history, his own history. baggage. the The people of Mandalore have their own thing. Right. And this armor and all this stuff, you know, and and even if you don't know some of that history, they're going to give you just a little bit of a flashback, a little bit of a sense of that. Right. A little bit of, I'm Mandalorian, my weapons are my religion. Right. A little bit of, why would I help you? Because you're Mandalorian. You'll actually get the job done. Right. Yeah, everybody else died, but none of them were Mandalorians. So. <laughs> right. And so even though the movie's about You'll make quick work of it. Like, exactly. You'll figure it out. Like The movie in that way manages to communicate that everything is ha- that's happening is of a mythological stature, even though it happens to be in the corner of the universe where the most senseless, cynical... Nobody knows what's going on and nobody cares. This is the Wild West. This is the outer rim in the wake of the collapse of the empire. And so it is all lawless. Yeah, but Wild West, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, Clint Eastwood is... A mythological character. He's the man with no name who comes out of nowhere. Right. And, and the Mandalorian's the man with no face. Right. Or name. I think a Han Solo movie, if it's going to feel Star Wars y, and maybe Solo himself is just so, you know, the entire charm of him is that he's the guy that looks askance at all this mythologizing. That's like what Harrison Ford brings to those movies. It's what makes Han Solo charming. But the problem then with a Solo movie is that it doesn't feel like Star Wars because it just doesn't 
there's there's no mythology. Well, like if you want to make prob- a movie- part of the problem is you can't introduce that mythology to a solo who's got to be like never heard of it, never bought into it, never seen anything like that in my life before. He's got to manage to work through all of this stuff without ever having seen anything like it, so that he can say in uh, the Force Awakens, "Yeah, I didn't believe it either." The dark, the light, the force, the Jedi, the, it's all real. And mm-hmm. it's got to land and hit home and feel sincere. It can't even, you can't even do it in a way that's like, actually, he did see it all, but he was just like refusing to, like, you can't, you have to have him avoid it all. Right. But that just really takes away the Star Wars-ness of it all for me. Like, even if you're going to tell the story of a, it's like Clint Eastwood and Get the Bad and the Ugly. Okay, he's just a cowboy, but he's got mythological stature. If we're going to do pirates... You know, like Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt kind of has mythological stature. He's like the gangster. He's the platonic ideal of what an evil, selfish, fat, gangster, slaver, nasty person. Yep. Nothing in the solo movie has that kind of that kind of weight to it. Nothing has until much until Maul shows up. Until Maul shows up. Right. And so I don't know. I mean, I realize it's too much to ask for the movie to have like you just said, the feeling of the force is superintending all this stuff and solo is just not aware of it. But yeah. I wish we could get that God's eye view. Actually. I wish we could actually see fate. Looming the only, over the, solo. The, the, the funnest way to have done that. Okay. I'll throw out the bad version of this. Okay. All you need is an aged up. You need to be on tat. You need to hit Tatooine at an early point and you need an aged up Ewan McGregor mm. to look askance at Han Solo and smirk or something that says, I know that the, that the hands of fate are guiding you on your quest. Or, right. or say something like, may the force be with you. Or have a little Gandalf moment where, you know, he looks at somebody and he says, you know, maybe somebody else's, Bail Organa is there. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea what's going on. But they're having this little secret conference at, you know, the cantina. And Organa's got an excuse to like, lock so out of, I'm making crap, all kinds of right. crap up here in order to get to the one thing that I want, which mm-hmm. is, for Obi-Wan to be there and to have a moment where he says, like Gandalf, you know, I'm not, who knows what, treat him like Gollum, Mm -hmm. what he might have to, what part he might have to play in our quest. Right. That'd be cool. I think that would add something. Anything like that would have been cool. And putting Obi-Wan in a movie with Maul, just having them be players is really cool. Because by this point in the chronology, Maul and Obi-Wan have been around it multiple times after Obi-Wan cut him in half and mm. Maul has murdered Obi-Wan's, the love of Obi-Wan's life. Mm. <laughs> and if, I mean, you don't have to know that for it to be cool, but those kinds of things can come up. And then all of a sudden it feels like there are all kinds of things at play here. And he, he here's this guy just sort of, he doesn't know that he's walking on a tight wire through it all, mm-hmm. but he's walking on a tight wire through it all. Right. That would be a cool way to tell a Han Solo story. If he's always on a tight wire, on a path that's leading him to a place, and he's always sort of intersecting and coming up next to the edge of things. Yeah. Make it feel like playing, make it make him feel like Sam Gamgee, mm-hmm. you know, or one of the hobbits who stumble onto Treebeard or whatever. Like, There's a bigger world. and There's a bigger world. He doesn't a, a realize, part he's a part of it. He doesn't quite realize how he's a part of it yet. But, you know, every step along the way, he has an opportunity to contribute or to be pushed up to the place where he finally gets to 
bite off Frodo's finger and fall into the fire, you know, whatever it actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. is, whether he's Gollum or whatever, that would be a good way to tell a Han Solo story, make him feel like the man who's fated to be a part of all of this. Right. But the every man who's a part, who's fated to be a part of all of this, the one who's not special. Right. But has the key part to play at every point along the way. And he becomes a true believer by the end. But that kind of throws into sharp relief another problem with this movie, which is in order to tell that story effectively, I think the character has to, the character has to be reacting against that in an interesting way. The character has to have an arc. And they really didn't provide Han Solo with much of an arc. He's basically already the trickster schemer gets by by the pure luck seat of his pants kind of risk taker talking his way in and out of things he's already that guy which i understand why they did that because they didn't want to start out with a boring han solo like this isn't you don't want to go the whole movie like this is the story of how he became cool and interesting which means he's not cool and interesting right but i actually think that probably would have been smart and more the problem is a basic movie arc like this you got the cynical character who's got a heart of gold he's going to start cynical he's going to if you're lord and miller and you're gonna and you're told that you're given a, a solo trilogy mm-hmm then it makes sense for him to start out Romeo, star-crossed lover, and end up the cynical guy who shoots first. Mm -hmm. And then let's just basically have a three-episode, you know, a three-movie arc that's essentially Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, where we have this guy who's, he's being pushed into corners and forced to make compromises and make decisions. And he is... At every step along the way, he's taking a step away from being the hero with the heart of gold. Right. The, that really sets up the, let's have him have the moment where he he doesn't show up at the fight. Right. He doesn't come back for he somebody. He doesn't yeah. come back to save the day. He goes off. Maybe he feels guilty about it later, whatever. But he's just sort of making these decisions to so that when we come back and rewatch A New Hope, it brings that much more emotional depth to those moments right this movie does in and of itself does almost nothing to make a new hope more exciting or more emotionally resonant yeah but you could you could see if the bones of it were lord and miller's idea and they were told they had a trilogy Mm -hmm. you could make a case that the bones of it could have been heading in a direction that would have really paid off emotionally by the time it was all said and done yeah i just wish that But they cut it off it got cut off it got robbed of its potency, and therefore it failed, even though it still made money. Failed by Star Wars standards, and therefore there won't be another solo movie. Right. Probably. Even though fans periodically make it trend on Twitter, begging for a second solo movie. Yep. Hashtag second solo. Hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Hashtag fans are fun it's people. It's back up again. Release the Snyder Cut, I guess yeah, you saw, saw that. that. Gal, yeah, Gal Gadot. And Ben Affleck. And ben Affleck. Yeah. Hey, I'd watch it if they released it vaguely morbidly curious can't be worse than the real justice league movie that they decided to go with no it can't be yeah i think given how broad star wars storytelling is anyway i just wish in the confines of this movie he'd had he just had a more discernible arc i mean this is like this is like the story of a guy that probably could have always shot first and then he decided that he definitely would shoot first I, i think a better story is the idealist that realizes he needs to shoot first you know let's let's start han out actually really believing in true love and believing in hope and let's see how he got to be life dealt him enough lemons that he just suddenly became the guy that was always going to shoot first in this movie it's like he's already kind of fast talking and cynical you don't want 
if you're going to do a, your Casablanca origin story, you don't want Humphrey Bogart to be cynical already at the beginning of the movie. You want Humphrey Bogart to be a man that really believes in love and believes in doing the right thing. And then things just keep not going his way and he becomes sour and cynical. Like, let's see Han Solo. Like, what does it take to drive a man to be in this profession and to have a bounty hunter, have Greedo come after him and just blow him away? Mm-hmm. That's that's the character that we met in A New Hope. How did he get there? And this movie, again, sort of contains the answer to that, I guess, but not in a very compelling way yeah give him a mother i mean here's a cheesy simple idea give him a mother who says you were always destined for something special han and then have life disprove the crap out of his mom's you know like he he believes in fate he believes in that there's a force superintending his life yeah let's let's do the same thing we did with jen let's have daddy or mommy give him a kyber crystal necklace Mm -hmm. and say the force will be with you always and This is about the guy whose defining characteristic is that he thinks the force is, or one of his defining characteristics is that he thinks it's just a hokey religion. Let's start out, let's give him, let's give him a religious upbringing or something like that. Yeah, let's give him devout, let's make, it's part of the, part of the problem, I guess, of the force in and of itself is like, there are no force worshippers. There are just like the normal people and the Jedi. the, the, the. The terrible thing and the wonderful thing about the Force is that it can be whatever you want in whatever movie. Right. So I think it would be no stretch to give him, quote unquote, devout parents, let's say. And they just, they really believe that the Force is there and that it's, and and then he sees the universe chew them up and spit them out. And he realizes this is not for me. You make your own luck. You make your own luck. And, but there's ways you could make that really moving and really... Good. I don't know. I guess we've already kind of been talking around this, but one thing I did want to do with this episode, what is your pitch for, have we basically already said, what's the pitch for a good solo movie? Like what, what should they have actually done with this movie? Or is there a good pitch? I don't for a really solo know movie? that there is a good pitch for a solo movie. I think a good pitch for a solo movie is the Mandalorian. I mean, the Mandalorian's the kind of show that we could actually have Han Solo himself move in and out of this right. series if we wanted. We could have hints of Han Solo be here and there and rumors of him be here and there. But the Mandalorian clearly, even within these two episodes, which don't have a lot of story to them, has a place to go. It has a starting point and an ending point. And the starting point is here's a guy who lives by a code, who's shut himself off from a lot of human feelings. And by the end of the series, I just have a sneaking suspicion (laughs) that he's going to have to violate his code and (laughs) learn to love people. (laughs) The problem with a Zolo movie is that A New Hope already gave Han Solo a satisfying satisfying arc. And so the only thing you can do is do it in reverse. You know, here's a guy who had hope and lost it. And they kind of leaned away from that. Yeah, they didn't want to do... They, they needed Han, they needed to tell Han breaks bad. Yeah, they didn't want and they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to do the tragedy of Han Solo. Right. And that's too bad. I think you could do a fun the tragedy of Han Solo. You could do a young man who had spunk and promise and a sense of humor and was cool and then got betrayed by absolutely everyone including the love of his life. Right. And they just they just shied away really letting that story be told and have it hit home. Yeah. And that was wrong. And the fact is, people would have loved it. Oh, yeah. If this movie suddenly They were afraid that people wouldn't like it. But that's the thing. Like, why is everybody... This is the mistake that Disney's made with Han Solo, or that 
George Lucas began making with Han Solo when he re-edited that scene with Greedo and Mm -hmm. took away Han shooting first. The reason Han had to shoot first in that scene is because we needed to establish this is a cynical lowlife who is on a redemptive arc of his own. Right. Right? Lucas felt, you know, went back and was like, crap, I, you know. One of my heroes just sat somebody in cold blood. Yeah. He's not one of your heroes in in this moment. And so he tried to retcon it so that, you know, Han could always be a hero. But the fact is, what made Han's arc effective is that he wasn't a hero to begin with and he had his own redemption. And now we go back and it looks like the bones of the story are Han has every reason to become cynical and to break bad, and he mm-hmm. does. But the way they play it, it's like, eh, he was always kind of a good guy that kind of became a little bit more cynical, but then he really wasn't. But it was pragmatic and it was entirely justified because the person he shot first was had already betrayed him and was going to be- kill him anyway. And Yeah, I mean, honestly, the scene that you pitched a little earlier, really what we need, since Hans follows, you know, the defining moment, is in the new hope is you know he comes back for luke he comes out of nowhere to save luke's skin you got to have the moment where he doesn't, he doesn't come do back that. that's actually amelia clark's function probably is well maybe this is too dark but either as far as the characters they gave us it might actually be lando's function except for lando can't die but you know you need that person that han solo makes a conscious dis- choice not to go back for because he's become too hard and too cynical, and the universe yeah. has just messed him, messed around with him too many times. And I expect that if Lord and Miller had the reins, it wouldn't surprise me if they would have given us that scene in the second or third movie. Right. But we just were never going to get to see it. And that's okay. Because, I mean, maybe we will. I thought the cast was pretty solid but and fun. But who knows? Who knows what they're going to do? I think they're going to lean into the... to Small screen... Yeah, they're going to lean into the Disney Plus shows. Mm-hmm. And if we get Solo back, we might get him back on the small screen. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah, that would be cool and fun, I think. It would be, but I mean, I think maybe the other criticism that I have of this entire they direction get, they're going is Han Solo is just actually not that deep of a character. There's right. not they're not a lot. One of the problems we've kind of been talking around in terms of what you do with this movie is there's actually not a lot there. I mean, yeah. beyond how he got his dice, which... I mean, if that's if that's one of your defining character traits is your dice that I don't even remember from those from the originals. It's like, well, they they gave it meaning. I, I'm pretty sure that the dice. So the dice are connected to Amelia Clark's character and their mm-hmm. love story. And I think they're there in A New Hope. Right. And then they're not there in Empire. And so they made them tell the story of on falling in love with Leia. Mm-hmm. When in reality, somebody just forgot to put them back up there. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I mean, retconning moments give us nice. emotional depth. That's nice. I um, I just think, uh, you know, in Rebels we get Lando and we get Princess Leia mm-hmm. weaving in and out of our story in a pretty fun way. You can do that kind of thing in a in a animated something or other in a way that's more difficult, you know, in a live action something or other. But yeah, I it, it wouldn't surprise me if we get a de-aged Luke at a certain point. I'm all for it. In this, in the Mandalorian, I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm all for it. We, I, might, I just we think, might get a Han Solo too. I'm that's fine with me. I just think they need to be careful. Like you know, we we've said this so many times, but the concept of what you don't see being more powerful, and even of an audience appreciating, you know, like what we always say, uh, you know, our our philosophy for these kinds of things is give them two plus two and let the audience make four. Well, 
A New Hope gives you two plus two with Han Solo. He just shoots a guy in cold blood. I guess he's this kind of guy. And really that tells you all the four that you need. Like in one scene, very elegantly, here's a guy who's going to barter for more money from these poor refugee people than they have, is going to shoot a bounty hunter in cold blood. That very elegantly sets up a character. And you actually don't need much more than that. Anything beyond that is just gravy. I don't know. It's interesting that I don't feel that way about the fact that they're doing a Obi-Wan series. I, I, I guess I'm just more interested in exploring the lore. There. Well, if they attach Filoni to Obi-Wan, to Kenobi, mm-hmm. it'll be super cool and fun. Right. That's some of his best storytelling was surrounding Kenobi, Kenobi and Maul and some of that fun stuff. Right. He, I think he gets what's cool and fun about Kenobi and old Kenobi. And right. I think, yeah, he is, uh, he's the lore master. So that's cool. That's, that's good. I think, I think they'd be really dumb. I think if the Mandalorian, he wasn't attached at all to the Mandalorian. And then by the time it was all said and done, he's an executive producer. He directed the pilot and he wrote one of the scripts. Mm-hmm. If this ends up being the success that it's shaping up to be, I can see them putting him in charge of all of the, the shows. And eventually letting him become what he kind of always should have been, which is the Feige of... He is he is Lucas's chosen one, and Lucas was not an idiot when he chose him, which is what everybody was afraid of. Right. But... And Lucas also apparently poured into him. Like, Lucas... Yeah. Lucas really spent a lot of time, years, with Filoni. And he's the kind of guy who's... He knows what he likes... He knows how to tell a good story. He has really good, smart sensibilities. And he's also just a big nerd. And he's a seems to be just a really humble guy who's willing to sit at George Lucas's feet and learn what learn the principles of what makes Star Wars Star Wars and what's what's Star Wars to George Lucas and what does he think is cool about it. Right. The kind of guy who can sit at the feet of John Favreau and be like, show me how to make a live action mm-hmm. movie. Well, the thing about George Lucas is everybody thinks he's an idiot, but the only thing that George Lucas ever lacked, George Lucas has always been a genius world builder. He's always been a genius everything. The only thing he's ever lacked is perspective. He's just never, around the time of the prequels, he lost touch with the perspective on, or or just decided he didn't care what your average Star Wars fan or even just your average cinema fan would actually care. He just care about or want to know about. He just... He wasn't able to take his interests and meld them with the common man's interests anymore. And so that's an easy thing for somebody like Filoni, I think, to still take so much from George Lucas, but just yep. bring an additional level of, I'm not... I can connect to the audience. I'm not stuck inside George Lucas's head the way that George Lucas is. Like, I mean, you see that's in all kinds of art forms. I mean, I don't have a specific example in mind, but I think that this happens with musicians a lot. You'll see someone hit the scene doing something that's really popular and and, and and of their time as a young person, they're yeah. doing it. And then the older they get, they keep their musical knowledge, their their genius. I mean, you think of like modern day Paul McCartney. Yeah, he's, he's a good example. He's still a great crafter of pop songs. He's just simply not in touch with what people want in a pop song now. He's, he's not able to bridge that gap and he's old and not sexy and you know he's got these things that keep him from actually making modern popular music but he's only grown in 
his craftsmanship, but in a certain sense, he's grown so much in his craftsmanship that he's grown out of the ability to actually connect with a common person. I don't know if that's a clear way of saying yeah, it. Yeah, it's but. just a hard thing in any art form. It's to stay ahead of the zeitgeist, really, right? Like, and But at a certain point, if you're Steven Spielberg, you know... A, a good example of this was a, it, it is actually probably uh, tech. Mm-hmm. So Apple's probably a really good example of this. Yeah. Steve Jobs, genius at figuring out what's next, mm-hmm. right? But Apple, the company, has, in that sense of just being innovative and ahead and knowing what's next and knowing how to beat everybody else to what's next because they've got a genius leader at the top of it, that they've lost that. And so, you know, now what they can do is kind of keep the principles of, well, it's got to be clean, it's got to be simple, it's got to be whatever, but they've lost the mojo. You'll see this with authors who, you know, they have a first novel that's really great and changes the world, but then they don't keep competing with other authors, they only have themselves to compete with as they write their later novels. And so the last novel that they write in their old age, in some ways, might be technically much more ambitious and pulling off many more things. But it's also not connected to something that's real and that people can just enter into. Anyhow, we're making a bunch of bad analogies to say that Lucas, let's not underestimate his genius. Let's not underestimate his genius, but let's understand that, you know, the places where he hit up against his limitations. Well, you know what? Actually, a really good example of this is who worse to make Ready Player One than Steven Spielberg? Steven Spielberg is just about the only person in the world who doesn't have the perspective on what we all actually liked about About Steven Steven Spielberg. Almost anybody could make a Ready Better Ready Player One, I submit to you. Steven Spielberg, because almost anybody was charmed by Steven Spielberger's, mm-hmm. I just said Steven Spielberger, Steven Spielberger's <laughs> movies. Um, Steven Spielberger? The only person, you know, Steven Spielberg, he was just making movies back in the day. Yeah. The kinds of movies that he liked, but his tastes have changed and he's grown up and he doesn't make those kinds of movies and he's not charmed by them anymore, but the rest of us are. And so I think that's kind of George Lucas. He did something that really connected with people. He moved past it, but he remained a smart guy. And somebody like Filoni can actually connect with it better than George Lucas can. But that doesn't mean that he can't sit at George Lucas's feet and learn a lot of craft and like, how, how do you do this kind of stuff, George? George Lucas is still a the best person for, to A ask. lot of lore building and world building. Right. George Lucas has done it all before and done it better than anybody. So anyway, I don't know. Anything else to say about this solo movie? Yeah, I don't think. I think we should uh, wrap this and talk about The Mandalorian, which is way more fun and interesting. That says it all, folks. you have any desire to ever watch Solo again? I don't know why I would, except for some OCD thing. Like if you're watching all the Star Wars movies through kind of deal? Yeah, but I'm not really feeling that pressure right now as we're watching all the Star Wars movies all the way through, so... I resented it when we came to solo and i came up with a gambit to keep us from having to watch it again i have no desire to spend another minute watching solo i'd, I'd much rather watch an interestingly bad star wars movie like a hundred times the clones but yeah attack of the clones would be fun last jedi i would much rather watch that and at least that's we're going to yeah. force awakens is next baby yep i'm actually really excited to talk about those was not excited to talk about solo it's not interestingly good not interestingly bad it's just what it is and that's almost the worst thing that a Star Wars movie could be is mediocre. Yep. I, I, I might I might make an argument that bad is better. 
Like Ryan Johnson, he struck out, but he did swing for it. I don't know. I might take that over bringing in old Opie and having him just try and, what's was the baseball analogy here? Just try and like, uh, what's that thing where you kind of hold the bat and the ball kind of goes off? Bunt. Bunt. Yeah. He just tried to <laughs> bunt. Tried to bunt for a hit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Solo's a bunt and that's not very inspiring. That's not the kind of baseball that I like to watch. <sighs> How many blasters out of seven do you give to Solo, Jake? Three and a half. Yeah. A thoroughly middle of the road movie deserves exactly half the amount of blasters it could get. Yep. I will also give three and a half blasters to Solo. Sanity at the Movies, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me. Go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity and you can support this work, which by the way, Jake, we should probably just say starting in January, we will be releasing some behind the paywall. We alluded to this earlier with The Mandalorian. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to look like, but we will definitely be releasing some behind the paywall Sanity at the Movies episodes at that particular location, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Patreon.com forward slash Sound of Sanity. So go there. We've been refurbishing our Patreon. (laughs) And until next time, folks. Working on it. (laughs) (laughs) I might just have to leave this long pause. (laughs) (laughs) Makes its own commentary on the movie. You are the good guy. Yay.